Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Welcome into Nuggets Numbers. I'm your host, Ryan Blackburn, at NBA Blackburn on Twitter. It is Tuesday morning as we once again are taking care of our player review sections for Nuggets Numbers, going through all of the numbers on each of the rotation players the Nuggets had placed significant minutes this year. Saving Michael Porter and Nikola Jokic for last. Also have Mason Plumlee to get to at some point, but today... Folks voted on Paul Millsap as the player to cover, as the player to talk about and sort of discuss just where we are with him. His age 34 season with the Nuggets was a good one, although there are some red flags that I think people are missing. I think people aren't talking about as much as they probably need to with him. He's a valuable player in the minutes that he did play, but he didn't play a ton of time. So we'll get into that. We did have some news come out over the break. Sham Sharania, Adrian Wojnarowski, all of the big names are reporting. Teams are probably going to start opening up their practice facilities at some point. For the Nuggets, that means opening up the Pepsi Center to the players, so keep that in mind. Um, this will happen probably around May 7th or May 8th. The Nuggets are probably going to open up their practice facilities for individual workouts on May 8th, and you hope that they will be safe. You hope that they will be uh, following the rules and compliant and understanding that, hey, we can't be ramping up a ton during this situation. Although players are going to want to come in and work out and do as much as they can to get back into basketball shape if it looks like the season is trending back towards happening. And we don't know what's going to happen. Nothing has really come out as to whether they're going to be holding sporting events in any way, shape, or form over the next couple of months. So we will see what happens with that. We will try to figure that out, and we will certainly cover it here. I'll certainly talk about it on Nuggets Numbers or the Denver Stiffs show, and we will get into that as needed. But let's get into the Paul Millsap player breakdown. I think this should be an interesting one. Paul Millsap has long been one of the most impactful nuggets on the roster, but let's dive into the numbers and see and take a closer look and see just how impactful he was during the 2019-2020 season. Okay, raw numbers for Paul Millsap, the strengths and weaknesses, some of his, his efficiency marks. Let's get into that real quickly. It's important to discuss it because... Paul Millsap played 44 games for the Nuggets this year, started 41 of them. He did sit out a large stretch of time. Uh, he had his, he had what was an ankle injury and turned into a foot thing, and there was a knee thing in there. And really what it was was they, the Nuggets were giving him maintenance and making sure that he was well-rested heading into a playoff run. They didn't really need him up until the second half of the season, up until after the All-Star break. 
And as a result, they did learn a little bit about themselves with Millsap on the bench, with Grant playing in there during the month of January. Uh, There were some interesting times. There were some interesting things that I think Nuggets fans will want to hear about. But first, his raw numbers. First, his statistics. There were 25 qualified starting power forwards that I could find in the basketball reference database. Guys that were starting times, guys that were uh, playing a significant amount of minutes. Zion Williamson, for example, doesn't qualify here despite being a very good power forward. He didn't play enough time. Minutes per game, Paul Millsap was 24.4 minutes per game. That was 25th out of 25 players. That's last. It's very rare for a player to play as little as Paul Millsap did as a starter. Those guys are counted upon heavily, especially at the power forward position. It's a very important position for defensive stability in most rotations. These guys have to switch. They have to protect the rim. They also have to space the floor. If you have a good power forward, usually you're doing pretty well. Uh, The Nuggets, they have a good power forward, but he doesn't play a ton. Um... Points per game, Millsap was at 12.0 this year. That was 20th among starters. Assists per game, 1.6. That was 21st. Rebounds, 5.9. That was 21st. Steals per game, he was all the way up to 10th at 0.9. And blocks, he was at 13th at 0.6. So, to be clear, because he didn't play a ton of time, these numbers are going to look a little bit... Uh, depressed. They're going to look a little bit lesser than what he was actually putting out there on a per-minute basis. He was really good. He was very strong, and he, and he was productive during that time. His per-minute stats are, are pretty good, especially the, the defensive numbers, those steals and blocks. Already a 10th and 13th, even though he played significantly less time than a lot of other players, that's important to note. Efficiency-wise, shooting percentage-wise, two-point percentage, he was at 50.4%. That was 18th out of 25. Three-point percentage, though, he was at 44%, which ranked first out of 25 power forwards. It's over guys like Danilo Gallinari and Kristaps Porzingis and some of the stretch fours, some of the big men that, that really can stroke it from outside. Paul Millsap was up there with the best of them. That reflected in the free throw percentage as well. He had a career high, I believe, of free throw percentage at 83.3%. Yes, that was a career high by a significant margin, actually. His last one was 79.2% in 2011-2012 with the Utah Jazz. Uh, That was was a long time ago. Um, But he's played really well. He's shot the ball really well, and that reflects in the true shooting percentage. That's sixth as well at 59.8%. Very good. Good numbers. Good efficiency stats. The shot profile is where things get a little bit deceptive. He shoots it like a star. He shoots it like a guy who has to create shots in the mid-range a little bit. Doesn't necessarily have the ability to get all the way to the rim because defenses collapse on him. But I think this is a red flag, and and here's why. The Nuggets have guys like... Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic and Will Barton, who are consistently trying to get to the rim, but they have to settle for mid-range shots because the rim is sometimes packed. The defenses don't want them to get all the way there, so they have to settle for mid-range shots. Players like Gary Harris, players like Paul Millsap, you want those guys to 
have as efficient of a shot profile as possible, as many threes and shots at the rim as possible. If you can't get to the rim, then get to the free throw line. Might as well try to generate as much shots and as many points on the margins as possible. That's why teams like the Houston Rockets and Dallas Mavericks always have a really good offensive rating is because their complementary players are taking valuable shots. Guys like Maxi Kleba from the Dallas Mavericks, Dwight Powell, um, Seth Curry, if you're a, if you're the guard equivalent there. Those guys are really good at what they do. They're really good at maximizing what they have, and they're not as talented as Paul Millsap, but they're taking shots in a more valuable location, and that changes the concept of the defense. The percentage of shots that Millsap took at the rim, he took 41% of his shots there. That's in the 41st percentile, which is ironic, but it's slightly below average. It's not as high as you would want it to be. The percentage of shots in the short mid-range, so like floater distance, uh, post-hook distance, 82nd percentile. He shot a high percentage of his shots there. 26% of his shots came from the short mid-range. When over a quarter of your shots come from a less efficient place on the floor, it's really hard to be efficient. And it would be fine if Millsap was shooting an efficient percentage from that place, but he wasn't. He was only in the 28th percentile in accuracy. He shot 34% from the short mid-range, from that floater distance. Nikola Jokic shot a much higher percentage from that spot. That's what makes him such an elite and unique superstar. It's because even on those really tough shots, he makes them at a really high rate. Millsap really dropped off from that this year. He shot a really high percentage from three, but really dropped off in his shots around the rim, his shots in the short to mid-range, and the shot profile just didn't look very good. It's one of the underrated reasons why Denver's shot profile or why their their offense wasn't as good as it could have been. Only 25% of Millsap's shots came from three-point range, despite shooting 44%. He was really, really efficient from that spot, But if you only are average in terms of how many shots you're taking from that space, teams don't have to respect it a ton. Teams don't have to really be concerned with what you're doing from there. It's one of the reasons why Millsap was left open as much as he was, because it was only one or two shots a game that teams were going to leave him open for there. It wasn't three or four. It wasn't five or six. That all contributes. It's all very marginal and... But when you add it up, I've talked about this with Gary Harris. I've talked about this with Will Barton. Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic get a pass because they're pretty efficient from those distances anyway. And they have to take those shots. They're the stars. They're the guys that you need to create offense in those areas. You don't always need that from Gary Harris and Will Barton, and especially not Paul Millsap anymore. He's the guy who probably has to take a step back in terms of creating shots from the mid-range. He took a lot of post-jump hooks and a lot of fadeaways and floaters and things of that nature. Uh, Even though he's pretty good at those shots most of the time, it's just not something that Denver can need. It's not something that they do need. If that shot is instead an open three somewhere, usually you're doing better. Of course, 
have to keep talking about the three-point percentage, though, because he did have a massive jump, and it was so unprecedented because previously, before this season, his high was with Utah back 10 years ago, uh, 39.1% from three. Uh, That was his percentage 10 years ago. This year, he shot 44%, and he shot a, a reasonable amount of them, too. It wasn't a ton. It, it wasn't in comparison with like a, a Porzingis or a Gallinari or guys of that nature, but it was enough. It was enough to give Denver some space. It was enough to keep defenses honest, and that was the most important thing for sure. Uh, he was good, and that shooting is something that will keep him in the league for a long time if he so wants to be. Because if he keeps shooting over 40% from three for the rest of his career, then there's always going to be a spot for him, whether it's as a stretch four or a stretch five. As long as he can hold it up physically, then there's a place for that in the NBA. Bigs that can shoot are very valuable, and that's what made Millsap so valuable for the Nuggets this year. Um, so asking Millsap to be a floor spacer, asking him to be a guy who can complement the offense, complement what you're doing inside the arc by providing some outside shooting, that's a good scenario. Asking him to do a lot inside the arc, the Nuggets have asked him to be in the dunker spot often, they, they sometimes throw him the ball in the post, that's not going to get it done. The Nuggets aren't going to win any championships that way. And especially with Millsap being 35 now, it's not the answer. And they need long-term answers. They need reliable things that they can continue to count on for several years. And this is just not something that I really count on. When we come back, I'm going to talk about the advanced metrics really briefly, then about what the numbers say about Millsap's league-wide standing. He is good. It's it's something that uh, always gets passed over by opposing teams and opposing fans, but Millsap is still very valuable, and especially in a playoff setting, he's very valuable. We'll be right back. All right, we're back. Nuggets numbers, Ryan Blackburn here. Hanging out, just trying to enjoy this this uh, this sunshine while it's been happening. It's been a lot of beautiful days over the past few days. Uh Denver's getting a respite from the snow that usually happens, and that's very fortunate for sure. Um, Let's talk about Millsap again. He is, I think he's certainly fallen out of the elite power forward conversation. He used to be there. He used to be an advanced stats darling. Not so much anymore. Some of that has dropped off, to be clear. Uh, Here's what the numbers really say about him. The RPM... Real plus minus from ESPN has him at 17th among all power forwards. Box plus minus on basketball reference has him at 13th among the starting power forwards, so a lot more kind. He's not in the top tier. That's reserved for Giannis, Anthony Davis, guys of that caliber. The all-stars from this year, Pascal Siakam, Jason Tatum, DeMontis Sabonis, he's not there. Uh, great starters like Kristaps Porzingis and LaMarcus Aldridge, Zion Williamson. Those are guys that are still solidly over him, uh, though LaMarcus is dropping. And there's also a tier of solid starters that I would take over Millsap for a variety of reasons. 
Draymond Green, Robert Covington, Danilo Gallinari, John Collins, and Kevin Love. And not necessarily on the Nuggets, I would take all of those guys over Millsap. I think Millsap, of course, fits Denver very well. He fits around what Jokic has done very well. Uh, But for most teams, a guy like Draymond Green is going to have more utility at this time. Robert Covington especially will have more utility. Gallinari, he spaces the floor better than almost anybody. Uh, Still very dynamic at the power forward position as a floor spacer. John Collins is dynamic as a scorer and rebounder. Can play the four, can play the five. And then Kevin Love, same thing. A lot of the same things with John Collins, except for the athleticism. Love is just very skilled. He understands his role, and his is translated very well. Uh, But those guys, they stay on the floor. They are guys that continue to play, and they play a high role and a high volume, and they all play a lot more than Millsap does. And that's something that I've really learned over the course of the past few years is that the best ability that you can have is availability. And if you're never on the floor, it's really hard to put a value on what you do when you're actually out there. Because if you're not out there, that's a lot of time that you could have been, that you could have been impactful. So I'll talk about that in a little bit. Millsap is in a tier right now with guys like Jaron Jackson, Aaron Gordon, Jonathan Isaac, Two of those guys, of course, play for the Orlando Magic. That shows you why the Magic are still in need of making moves long-term. But you can make an argument, of course, that you would want any of those three over Millsap, especially if you consider age. Right now, I think Millsap, his impact is where those guys are currently, and that's fine. Um... But still, that puts Millsap in kind of the range as an average starter, in the 14 to 17 range. I listed 13 guys prior to Millsap and the rest of that tier, and I think it's important to note that if you have an average starter, then he's no longer elite. That's You can't just pencil him into that elite tier anymore, and that's okay. There are a variety of things to talk about with that, but uh, Millsap has definitely dropped off over the past couple of years. Like I said, the best ability is availability. Uh, He is productive in those limited minutes. He's very efficient from outside, plays great defense. However, if Millsap was averaging 32 minutes per night as opposed to 24.4, and he suited up for every single game as opposed to missing 21 games, he would have doubled his minutes this year. He played 1,075 minutes, but that number would have jumped to over 2,000 if he was consistently out there. And if you're the Nuggets, if you're trying to formulate a championship team, it's hard to formulate and truly give the best effort that you can if one of your guys isn't out there consistently, if, if he is missing time, if he's only playing 24 minutes a night because he needs some maintenance. And that's... It's unfortunate. People don't want to talk about that with him, but he is in need of maintenance a lot of the time. Especially at the age 35, with the Nuggets thinking about bringing him back, how much can they count on him going forward? How much can they count on a guy like that as the starter? Very few starters play under 25 minutes a night. It's just a fact, and if you're a championship team, 
your fifth starter plays 25 minutes a night, and the Nuggets don't want Paul Millsap to be their fifth starter. They have, like, Will Barton was coming off the bench last year for stretches of time. Gary Harris is really struggling. They need stability on the starting unit. They need guys that they can count on next to Jokic and Murray, and they're hoping that Michael Porter Jr. can be that guy, but you need you need somebody who's going to be consistently out there, and I just don't think that Millsap is in that position right now to be able to help them on a consistent basis. But let's talk about the playoffs because last season he did have a pretty solid playoff run. It wasn't great. It wasn't perfect, but he was valuable, to be clear. Uh He only attempted 38 threes in 14 games. He made 31% of his threes. That rate of taking those shots isn't going to cut it, and it's one of the reasons why Denver really struggled in the playoffs last year. They didn't have enough floor spacing. They didn't have enough guys that if the defense left them open, the defense was scared. Denver, of course, had a couple of Game 7s where they couldn't hit the broadside of a barn. Uh, A lot of that was Millsap wasn't himself. He wasn't the version that he could be right now, where he's hitting 44% of his shots and willingly letting them fly. Um, Jokic was always going to be kind of the focal point, but they need guys around him that can still be threats, that can still space the floor that teams need to jump out on. And Millsap wasn't that guy last year. Still, Millsap, he improved his rate this year. He improved his efficiency this year. Teams are scared to leave Paul Millsap open this season. Don't know if that's going to continue into a playoff series. Don't know if that's just something their other teams will have to live with in those situations. But still, we, we will have to see. It's, it's something that will have to be at least seen before we can just assume that things are going to happen that way. Uh, But still, Millsap only played 24 minutes a night. It's hard to rely on a guy like that for heavy minutes at this age 35 season and expect that he gets up over 33 a night because he did play 33 minutes a night last year and the efficiency dropped. The efficiency wasn't there. He had several games where when Denver needed their stars to step up, Jokic stepped up almost every time. Murray stepped up most of the time. Millsap, he was fine during the middle of most of these series, but wasn't an impactful piece late in either series. Late in the series against the Spurs, late in the series against the Blazers. He got played off the floor against the Blazers in Game 7. That isn't talked about a lot. The Nuggets went with Torrey Craig at the 4, Will Barton at the 3, Gary Harris at the 2, Uh, sometimes Malik Beasley in there, Murray at the one, Jokic at the five, but Millsap wasn't out there because he couldn't keep up with a perimeter forward and opposing teams didn't really trust him to hit those shots, to hit those outside shots or to punish the opposing team inside. The Nuggets need a guy who can either keep up with everybody or will punish teams for going small. And I just don't think Millsap is going to be that guy anymore for Denver, and that's okay. The Nuggets are transitioning. Millsap did that for three years here, and he was very good at it, but now they need to transition. I really only see Millsap as a pick-and-pop stretch four or stretch five going forward 
asking him to create offense from the post or off the dribble like he consistently did for the past three seasons, it's just not going to be viable in a playoff series. That doesn't mean that he can't come back for the Nuggets. That doesn't mean that they can't bring him back, nor should they not bring him back. He could be a bench player. He could be a bench four or a bench five. And they could ask him to defend opposing centers, to defend opposing power forwards at times off the bench. And in a playoff setting, that's something I think he could do. Could he match up with Montrez Harrell for a seven-game series against the Clippers? Maybe. Probably not. Maybe. It's at least up to, up for debate in those shorter minutes. But that's really the only guy that I think the Nuggets would be scared of as like a, a bench big who really gives the Nuggets problems. There aren't that many other guys in the Western Conference who you could really say that about. Uh, the Utah Jazz don't have anybody. The Thunder have Nerlens Noel as their backup five. The Lakers have Kyle Kuzma, but he's not playing the five in that situation. So maybe Anthony Davis if he's playing the backup five. Uh, the Rockets obviously don't have anybody. The Mavericks have um, Dwight Powell and Maxi Kleba. They're good, but we'll see. Memphis and New Orleans are going to be interesting too uh, because their young guys, Jaron Jackson and Zion Williamson, are going to be out there, and they're dangerous. Those are those are pretty dangerous players. So we'll see if Denver ran into a first-round series like that, whether Millsap would be available. But against most of the teams, I think he would be a reasonable option as a backup five because teams aren't going to be able to score on him a ton. They're not going to be able to take advantage of him in that situation, and he would be a stretch five who just shot 44% from three. That's really big. The Nuggets, in their current scheme, could probably use a backup five who can space the floor. Monte Morris could be able to get all the way to the rim. Michael Porter Jr., maybe he plays the backup four in those situations in a playoff series, and he has a lot of space because Mason Plumley isn't in the paint. There were a lot of scenarios when I was watching back game film of various players, whether it was Gary Harris, whether it was Jeremy Grant, whether it was Torrey Craig, where Mason Plumley was right in the front of the rim. And it's really hard to play offense today. It's really hard to slash to the rim to be an efficient player if you're always dealing with two guys at the rim your man and somebody else's man if Millsap is stationed out there except he's in the corner or he's at the top of the key then maybe that changes things maybe the Nuggets are a little bit more dynamic off the bench with Millsap as the stretch five I don't know I think it's probably the right call but we'll see When we come back, we're going to talk about what I think the Nuggets are going to do next year, what I think Paul Millsap can be for the Nuggets going forward. We'll be right back. Okay. In an ideal world, I see the Nuggets bringing back both Jeremy Grant and Paul Millsap next season. Now, Grant would be the starter. Grant is the guy who you prioritize because he just turned 26. You just traded for for him with a first-round pick. 
He showed flashes of being the guy that you really wanted when you traded for him. He had moments where he defended Kawhi Leonard really well. He defended Brandon Ingram really well, where he was spacing the floor. He defended Giannis Antetokounmpo pretty well. Like when he when those guys were playing, he accumulated seven blocks in the game that the Nuggets played against the Milwaukee Bucks in January, January 31st. Grant had seven blocks. When was the last time you saw a Nuggets player accumulate that many blocks? It's been ages. I I, I would look it up, but I'm recording a podcast right now. So Grant fits that timeline, especially next to Michael Porter Jr. He's a little bit more versatile. Porter probably needs a guy like Grant who can defend both smaller players, wings, guys who can be on the perimeter, and bigger guys like an Anthony Davis, like a Giannis, like a a Pascal Siakam, guys of that nature. By the way, Grant also defended Pascal Siakam very well, so that's an important piece of this. Um, But either way, Grant just turned 26. Millsap just turned 35. It, this isn't a hard call. Even though Paul Millsap in a vacuum was probably better than Grant last year, Millsap got to play in a lot of ideal situations specifically for him. Most of his minutes, the vast majority of Millsap's minutes, came next to Jokic, came next to Murray, came next to guys who were the best players on the Nuggets team. Most of Grant's minutes, when they... He did play a lot next to Murray and next to Jokic when Millsap was out. But in those other minutes, he played next to Plumlee. He played next to the awful small forward rotation that was both Michael Porter Jr. and Torrey Craig. Sometimes both of those guys played. Sometimes Wancho played. Malik Beasley was in and out of the lineup. Grant had it a lot more difficult. And he was kind of pigeonholed into a Trey Lyles type role or he was your, really your stretch four. Sometimes you go to him for ISO scoring. When he was out of that role, when Mason Plumley got injured, when Paul Millsap got injured, Grant started looking a lot better, and the Nuggets started playing better too. So I think there's something to be said for that. There's something to be said for just how Grant fits with Porter going forward and how I think if the Nuggets are going to prioritize what they believe can win them a championship, I think Jokic, Murray, and Porter are the three most important pieces, and Grant is the most important piece outside of those two next to Porter that can really get the most out of everybody. So keep that in mind. The Nuggets aren't going to have a lot of money to work with during the offseason, though, and if they give a lot of money to Jeremy Grant to be the starting power forward of the future, then Paul Millsap may not have a ton of money. Right now, the, the number is about $30 million that the Nuggets have until the tax line to pay guys like Millsap and Grant and Plumley and Craig. But if they give 10 to $12 million of that to just Grant, if they give more than that to Grant, then it would be tough to spend a ton of money at that same position if you're the Nuggets. So I am interested to see how they handle that. But I think the priority is probably going to be to bring back two of those bigs. Grant is the first priority, and then Millsap is the second. He's versatile. He's a little bit more... uh, His ability to play both the four and the five should be appealing to the Nuggets going forward. Plumlee didn't play a ton of four this year. He didn't play a ton next to Jokic, and there was a reason for that. If this was three years ago, then... 
I think the Nuggets might really consider bringing back Plumlee because he has the ability to match up with some power forwards and stay on the perimeter at some points. But right now, I think Millsap and his versatility, his ability to space the floor, defend in space, it's important. So whether the Nuggets can afford one or both of those guys, we'll have to see. Um, I'd probably call it 50-50 at this point. I hope the Nuggets do try to get Millsap back, though, because he has been really important to who the Nuggets are. He's been really important to their dynamic as a team. When he first got to Denver in 2017 in that offseason, they paid him three years, $90 million with a team option on the third year. There was a lot of eye rolls. There was a lot of, not, not eye rolls, but eye raising about that contract because it, it was questionable whether Millsap was worth that amount of money in a vacuum. However, for the Nuggets, it wasn't about being in a vacuum. Millsap helped Jokic get the best out of himself. He helped Jokic transition from being somebody who's a little bit wishy-washy about being the alpha dog on the team to he's averaging 20-10-7 on a consistent basis, and he takes the last shot most of the time. He wants to have the ball in his hands, and that's not something that Millsap like it, it was at least a question about whether Millsap or Jokic would be kind of the main big in the rotation when he came in. And it took a while, but eventually it, it became Jokic's team. And a lot of that was because Millsap was willing to cede the role and willing to be the complimentary guy. Do the dirty work. Rebound. Space the floor. Defense. He helped the Nuggets learn how to play defense. He helped them learn how to play hard, how to bring the same attitude to work every single day. And he really showed the Nuggets how to be respectable. They were a 40-win team when Millsap first arrived. And even when he missed half the season in his first year, they won 46 games. The next year, they won 54 games. This year, they were probably on pace to win about 55. That would be my guess. That's good production. That's good ability to get the most out of your team. And Millsap should be respected for that. He should be treated well for what he did for the Nuggets. It wasn't always flashy. It wasn't always with a bunch of uh, pizzazz. And, and But that's just not who Millsap is. That's just not his game. He is steady as a rock. He, uh, he was came to work every single day, brought the same attitude, and was always a positive force. And that was really huge for this Nuggets team. So, can the Nuggets bring him back for a 20-minute-per-game roll off the bench? Maybe play some four, maybe play some five. I think he could fill that role, and even in his age 35 season, him playing 10 minutes off the bench every single half, or at least like three out of four games, that would be good for the Nuggets. They would have some continuity. They would have the ability to get some young blood in there. They would still have to add a young, cheap, big, or maybe even sign a true center who they could ultimately trust in some of those situations. But I believe that Millsap is probably, like, it's tough. I think he'll probably be back. I do. I think the Nuggets want him back. I think Millsap wants to be back. And Ultimately, Millsap just has to see the writing on the wall that he can't be the starter anymore. The Nuggets are going to have to figure out how to plan for the future. 
And if that means Grant starts, Porter starts, Millsap comes off the bench and is the steady veteran contributor, the Andre Iguodala, the David West, he can do that. He should want to do that. This could be a great chance for him to win a championship. The Nuggets will have to take some chances to be clear. But if they do, if it works out, Millsap could be walking away with a ring. I think there's a really big chance that Denver could compete for something big in next season. We'll see if that happens. We'll see if that really works. We'll see if MPJ is ready for it. But either way, this Nuggets team is about to have a lot of changes, either for the good or for the bad. Hopefully they keep Millsap around for the good because he could provide something special. That'll do it for this episode of Nuggets Numbers. Next week will be a Mason Plumlee breakdown before getting into Nikola Jokic and Michael Porter Jr. Those guys are, I know everybody's excited to hear about them. Everybody always is. There's a lot of fun stats to go with those guys, but thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of Nuggets Numbers. Let me know what you thought about the episode, and I will see you guys next week. Bye.